Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 31 You are Locked On Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 204 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and uh, on this fine Sunday afternoon, you're hearing that right, afternoon, I'm going to post this show uh, pretty early, actually, on Sunday evening uh, in an attempt to get ahead of the week, and uh, frankly, it's because there's so much going on with the Atlanta Hawks that uh, I was trying to get things up as fast as possible. I almost recorded a show on Saturday night, but, you know, life intervened, but here we are. Uh, I guess this is sort of a weekend podcast. It's also going to double as our Monday show, but there's still plenty of content to get to here, and uh, before we get into uh, the Dwight Howard player review, uh, I've decided to... Uh, Put Mike Muscala on a later episode in the process, uh, only because there's so much news. And Dwight, obviously, is going to take a little bit longer than Muscala would have. So he's going to have his own podcast here in addition to uh, all the news and the GM stuff. So I'm not forgotten about Mike Muscala. If you're a big fan of his work, I'll be breaking him down at a later point in the offseason. But uh, for, for now, this is going to be all GM stuff, a little bit of draft, and Dwight Howard. So... To kick things off on this fine Sunday uh, is all the GM stuff. Uh, this week has been filled with names that have been uh, sort of appearing in terms of the GM search. Uh, Mark Stein, formerly of ESPN, uh, reported that the Hawks were granted permission to speak with both Wizards, Wizards executive Tommy Shepard and also Warriors executive Travis Schlenk in a, an attempt for them to look through the uh, the GM uh, sort of candidates that they have here. There's obviously a long line of guys who've been mentioned with the job, but those are two names. There aren't huge names, but uh, you know Travis Schlenk's always been a guy who I've heard about. I've heard good things about. I'm not twice familiar with Tommy Shepard from around the league, but a couple of guys who are well respected in the industry, and not a big surprise that they would, uh, uh, you know, surface here. Uh, also, in the Mark Stein written report, he referenced Mike Zarin of the Celtics. Um, that's not, there's not many huge sort of bombshell with Zarin, but he's been mentioned a couple times through the process, and uh, is one of the more famous, I would say, uh, assistant GMs in the league. Uh, just judging by the fact that he works with the Celtics and is uh, sort of a well respected, sort of analytically minded guy uh, who works under Danny Ainge, that'd be an interesting fit for me. And uh, one of the guys who uh, sort of famously has turned down GM's jobs in the past because he's uh, sort of been in high demand. So that'd be a good name to keep in mind moving forward. Also, Chris Haynes of ESPN reported that Chauncey Billups is going to be getting an interview this week in Los Angeles. Uh, that report indicates that it's going to be on Tuesday and, the, and that the organization, quote, isn't looking to drag out the hiring process. That's a very interesting nugget, almost more interesting than Billups itself. Uh, my, my feelings on Billups are sort of mixed. I think he is a, a smart guy. He's uh, shown to be pretty decent on TV, and obviously he has the playing, the, play, the playing reputation that he has, but I'm not a huge fan of bringing in a guy with no experience. Um, uh, to that end, you know, Billups, I guess the Hawks could do work 
worse than Billups, but I wouldn't be a huge fan of that move necessarily. But the fact that the Hawks aren't looking to drag this out is interesting just because uh, some of the reporting that we've seen before that doesn't really have that impression. You know, the Hawks might not be in a huge rush here, but in the same breath, uh, they need to get this thing done relatively soon. They are in good shape relatively with with guys like Rick Sund in the mix um, and Jeff Peterson in the mix, but they have to be able to... uh, you know, be able to get this thing done pretty soon because the draft is rapidly approaching, as we'll be talking about here on future shows. And uh, even if it's not Billups, just the fact that um, you're going to have a guy in place relatively soon would be encouraging. Last but not least on the GM front for this podcast, um, Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical reported that the Hawks were denied permission to speak with Blazers GM Neil O'Shea. Um, he, he also says that the Hawks, and I quote, tried to take a big swing with regard to O'Shea and also quote that the Hawks search is ongoing but probing on O'Shea shows a potential, uh, sorry, a possible willingness to spend significant money for elite executives. Um, O'Shea would have been a great name, honestly. Uh, he's one of the most respected people in the industry as well. Um, obviously, Portland's been an interesting situation. Uh, sort of like David Griffin, actually. We, we, we talked about a lot on the podcast. O'Shea has been blessed with basically an, an, an unlimited payroll with Paul Allen being kind of willing to spend anything and everything. So it's tough to gauge a little bit on his job performance recently. I think last summer was pretty bad, actually, for O'Shea. But before that, he's had some really big success in the draft. Um, and again, uh, when, when you have an unlimited payroll, it kind of affects the way you can do things, and uh, especially if that mandate comes from the top that that they want to get better sort of at any cost it's sort of the same thing as Griffin being able to go Above and, be, above and beyond the luxury tax, and as well as having LeBron James. So it's kind of tough to evaluate these guys, but Olshay is a, uh, a favorite in the media circles. People like him a lot, and it uh, seems to be that he's very, very intelligent. Um, but it looks like that's not going to be happening, but uh, worth noting that the Hawks have been at least willing to at least think about uh, paying a huge sum of money because it would have taken that to land Olshay, and it will definitely take that to land David Griffin. So keep an eye on that moving forward, but uh, interesting at least that the Hawks were taking the swing there because they've uh, obviously been a big, uh, I guess, you know, I mean, the other competitor here is Orlando. Those are the two open jobs right now, and I think the Hawks are the more interesting job. Um, I, I won't necessarily say that they're the better job right now. I think the Hawks are the better job, but Orlando has some young assets as well, and they're not uh, necessarily in the cap purgatory that the Hawks might be in. If the, if the mandate for the new GM is to sign Paul Millsap at any costs, that could really sort of hamstring the organization moving forward, whereas Orlando doesn't have, obviously, as much success recently, but they don't have that albatross either um, to work with, so it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward with those two jobs. All that to say, uh, one more note before we get into Dwight Howard here and actually comes from the draft world. As Chris Livermore of the AJC brought word that uh, the Hawks interviewed 12 players at the draft combine at the draft combine last week. They all make a ton of sense, um, with, with at, least, at least except for one. Uh, here's the list: uh, Jared Allen of Texas, Jawan Evans of Oklahoma State, John Collins of Wake Forest, TJ Leaf of UCLA, Frank Jackson of Duke, Monte Morris of Iowa State, Harry Giles of Duke, Dylan Brooks of Oregon. Um, Donovan Mitchell of Louisville, Dwayne Bacon of Florida State, Caleb Swanigan of Purdue, and Justin Patton of Creighton. Uh, very interesting names here. Uh, you know, some of these guys have been mentioned for the number 19 pick for a while now. Uh, Jared Allen, John Collins, uh, maybe even TJ Leaf, Harry Giles, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and uh, Justin Patton. Those are all uh, interesting names for, for the 19th pick. I don't have a, uh, you know, it's I, I'm going to get deeper into these guys moving forward as the draft becomes closer, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily averse to any of those guys individually at 19. A couple of those guys I probably think would be really I'm not a huge fan of Leaf uh, and also, you know, Patton, Patton and Allen are sort of the best of prospects and Collins is a very safe pick but not one with, not, with, not one with, with a ton of upside. So we'll keep an eye on those. Um, with regard to number 31 pick, 
Uh, Jawan Evans and Monte Morris, as well as Frank Jackson, would, would be interesting fits there. Uh, Jackson's more of a high upside guy, whereas Morris and Evans would be, you know, potentially uh, options for backup point guard even next year. I'm not sure that they'd be better than Malcolm Delaney right away, but at least it, it would be possible that they would be better than Malcolm Delaney there right away. Also, Caleb Swan again um, is a guy. People and I know, I know I know in the Peachtree in the Peachtree Hoops comments where I am, uh, of course, a writer. Um, people like Caleb Swan again a whole lot. I'm not a huge fan of Swan again, but if you can get him at number 31, it'd be pretty interesting. I I think he's sort of a low upside player, but a guy who's fairly safe as well. He might be an interesting target at 31. I don't love that at 19 necessarily, but a name to keep in mind. And then with, with regard to the number 60 overall pick, you know, Dylan Brooks and Dwayne Bacon would be uh, hopefully not in the mix before then because I don't think either one of those guys would be worth consideration at number 31. But either either or both could be available at 60, and the Hawks did some due diligence there. Um, just very interesting sort of to see the names written uh, from Chris Moore. so shout out to him, and uh, we'll keep an eye on this moving forward. And obviously the Hawks are going to be able to interview anyone and everyone that they want to. I think Donovan Mitchell, for instance, is, is a guy who's very unlikely to be there at number 19 overall. Um, it's not impossible by any means, and uh, you want to be prepared because the Hawks could, of course, trade up if they wanted to. They have that 31 pick for some ammunition as well as some, I mean, if they wanted to move up bad enough, they have some extra ammunition in the future with the 2018 potentially Wolves pick, 2019 potentially Cavs pick, and if they wanted to get aggressive and move up, they could do that. I wouldn't be a huge proponent of that, but if they could find a guy that potentially falls that they think is worth a higher pick, then they might be willing to do that, and they certainly would be able to do so. Um, with all that said, uh, I want to talk to you about the good folks at Seeking before we get to Dwight Howard. The NBA playoffs are still rolling along, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being at the game for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for a great value. SeatGeek has the best deals on every ticket in the house, wherever you want to sit, whether that's courtside, the club seats, or the upper level. I have a SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, which is just a few taps on my iPhone screen, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. With SeatGeek, you, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you want to shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price if that's what you desire. And SeatGeek will always help you want to get, get the most bang for your buck. That's why every single ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy, SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. And in order to get that $20 rebate, you need to download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. From there, enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOHAWKS, that's L-O-H-A-W-K-S, today. Thanks, as always, to SeatGeek for sponsoring the show, and I definitely recommend that service. It's uh, saved me on a bunch of occasions, and I would uh, recommend that you check them out uh, for your next ticket purchase, whether it be sports, concerts, you know, theater, anything like that. Check them out today. Uh, with that said, uh, here's Dwight Howard in the player review. Uh, obviously, an interesting uh, scenario with Dwight and that uh, he signed a big contract last summer. I will be upfront. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I did not love that signing when it happened. That's uh, the kindest way to put it. I was uh, thoroughly opposed to that signing, but I want to be as upfront as possible here and uh, hopefully put out, put out some positives and negatives with Dwight and sort of be, I'm trying to be as down the middle as possible here, uh, knowing the fact that I spent the last you know 10 months or so talking about how much I, how much I disliked that move and that has to be out there at the forefront. Uh, from an overall perspective, I've uh, sort of done this sort of in this 
way for most guys. But uh, the Hawks had a 101.1 offensive rating with Howard on the court this year. Only Torian Prince was lower among players that played anything approaching rotation-worthy minutes. Not, not a huge surprise. I think Dwight's kind of a below-average offensive player at this point in time. Um, but the, the defensive end, the Hawks were pretty good defensively when he was on the court with a 103.1 defensive rating um, before the All-Star break. Things were much much better for Dwight with the uh, sorry for the for the Hawks with Dwight on the court. They had actually a positive net rating, a plus .7 net rating. Well, the offense was not great, but but still better than the overall, and the defense was better than the overall as well. Um, after the All Star break, though, it was it was a, it was a smaller sample to be fair, but that also includes the playoffs. Um, well, not this. This number does not include the playoffs, but uh, the uh, the sort of negativity includes the playoffs. But after the All Star break, the Hawks had a minus seven point eight net rating with Howard on the court. That is uh, ghastly. That's one of the bottom five teams in the league for sure over that time period. Um, easily the worst number on the team among regulars. Only Mike Dunleavy was actually worse um, in terms of guys who were playing real minutes um, for the Hawks after the All Star break. The Hawks had a ninety six point five. Offensive rating, which is uh, obviously awful, pretty much the worst in the league possible, um, with Howard on the court after the All-Star break and a 104.3 defensive rating in 695 minutes. The defensive rating is not good, but not awful. Offensive rating was awful, and I think you saw with the eye test as well that the Hawks were just pretty bad offensively with Dwight on the court in general this year, but even even worse down the stretch of the season. On the bright side... Uh, Dwight Howard is one of the best rebounders on the planet. Uh, there's, there's no way around that. He's one of the top five guys uh, in the league in terms of rebound percentage, all those things. And, you know, some, some of the numbers here, 12.7 rebounds per game. That's sort of the headliner. But he finished second in the league in offensive rebound rate, fourth in the league in defensive rebound rate, and fourth in the league in total rebound rate. So in short, uh, along with Andre Drummond, Hassan Whiteside, and DeAndre Jordan, that's sort of your upper tier rebounders in the entire NBA. And Dwight is still awesome at that, even with less um, athleticism than he used to have in his prime, of course. It's fair to suggest that the rebounding was a was was a weak point in the Al Horford era. Uh, most, most of you who are listeners to this podcast know that I like Al quite a bit, but in the same breath, that was a weakness for the team moving um, in the past. The last couple of years, uh, the team finished 13th in rebounding rate this year overall, including 19th in defensive rebound rate. Not, not great by any means, but much, much better than previous years. Uh, the Hawks finished 28th overall and 25th in defensive rebound rate last year and 20, sorry, 2015, 2016. And the previous year, the 61 season, the Hawks finished 27th in rebound rate and 22nd in defensive rebound rebound rate. So that, you know, offensive rebounding was never a focus on right Budenholzer until this year with Howard. And even then it was basically just Howard by himself. Um, aside from that though, rebounding was definitely improved this season. The Hawks made that, uh, the Hawks made, made that change with Howard almost uh, single-handedly doing that for them. Uh, however, the Hawks did give up a lot in that, in that exchange. It's worth pointing out that, uh, they, you know, that fixed the rebounding problems, but, uh, also created other ones. I've said this ad nauseum, uh, so I, but I have to say it again here, given that we're, uh, of course, wrapping up Dwight's season. The Hawks were worse in basically every single every single statistical category from 2015-2016 to 2016-2017, with the exception, and the notable exception, of rebounding. So uh, we made all the jokes. I've made all the jokes. People that have uh, that were not high on the move made the jokes. But, you know, they, the Hawks fixed the rebounding issue, but uh, also got worse as a team uh, by changing out Al Horford for Dwight Howard. And listen, it must be noted that, uh, you know, avoiding Al, avoiding paying Al was never the problem in my book, you know, there's some people that were upset about that, and obviously, you know, Al leaving town willingly to take less money elsewhere was not is not going to sit well with Hawks fans. I understand that, but it was never really about Al leaving. I had no problem with that because you know, giving Al Horford the five year max 
would not have been a great investment. It would have been a better investment than Paul Millsap because how, how uh, sorry, Al would have been two years younger and, of course, at a very, very low maximum number when compared to Paul. But in the same breath, I was okay with, with letting Al go. That wasn't a huge point of contention for me. Um, the, the point of contention for me was uh, turning around and, and giving, that, giving a lot of that money to Dwight Howard, even on a smaller contract. So um, all that to say, I want to get that out here now. I, I think the Hawks would have been better with Al Horford on the team, but uh, it was never about not paying Al. It was much more about using that money or at least part of that money and paying Dwight. I did not like that move, and it, I think it proved out to be the case that it wasn't the greatest investment in the world considering how uh, poorly the Hawks played at times with Howard on the court. Uh, offensively, uh, Dwight posted his second highest true shooting percentage of his career at almost 63% and a three-year high in PER at 20.8. I've said this over and over on the podcast, but I, I don't think it would have been fair or uh, you know even reasonable to expect anything more from Dwight this season. That's worth pointing out because of the fact that you know it's not his fault the Hawks paid him. I will always make this point about about all, a lot of guys. We at Kent Bazemore or Paul Mossap this summer or Joe Johnson or whoever. You know the guy the guy gets offered a contract, he signs it. It's not his fault, and he's and in terms of uh, performance on the floor. Uh, on the whole, I think Dwight was about as good as anyone could have possibly thought he would be this year. So shout out to Dwight for that. Uh, he was underwhelming in the playoffs, I would say. It's obviously a pretty small sample, but uh, he was borderline unplayable at times in the series. Especially defensively, there were some issues. Obviously, offensively, the Hawks needed more spacing. And uh, to be fair to Dwight, something I wanted to say for a while now, but um, if the Hawks wanted to go in on Dwight as an experiment, I think it would have been uh, wise. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again that they needed to put more shooting around him. Uh, with Dwight, you, you need more shooting around him than the Hawks had. And I've said this over and over again. They entered the season with one above-average shooter on the roster. That was Kyle Korver, who they then traded uh, a couple months later. By the end of the season, the only guy who you would describe as an above-average shooter on the entire roster was Mike Dunleavy, and uh, he was probably a guy who shouldn't have been playing for you. So in order to maximize what Dwight can do at this stage of his career, uh, you can play Paul Mossad next to him. I have no problem with that, but uh, you need more shooting around him than the Hawks were able to provide, You know, whether it be Kent Bazemore, Thomas Felosha, even Tamaroway Jr., who is just an average shooter. Uh, Torian Prince, not a great shooter at this point in his career, even Dennis Schroeder, not a great shooter. So uh, not, did not place uh, Dwight in the best position possible offensively, and they paid for it, I would say. Uh, only last year in Houston did he have a lower a lower usage rate, though. Uh, you know, Dwight seemed pretty bothered by that, especially at the end of the year. I think I remember his uh, his exit interview, something worth uh, going back and listening to and watching again. Uh, he did not exactly seem thrilled with the fact that he did not touch the ball a whole lot on this team. But that, uh, I think for me, it did contribute to the uptick in efficiency for him. He was not placed in as many post-up situations as he has been in years past, just had a lower usage and was able to be more efficient as a result. Uh, in fact, his post-ups are bad. I've said, I've said this before, but again, we're talking about Dwight on the whole here, so it has to be said again. Uh, he averaged uh, 0.84 points per possession, uh, which translates to obviously an 84 offensive rating. That's pretty bad with him in the post this year. He had 274 post-ups uh, during the season, according to NBA.com. That's a little bit more than three per game. Uh, I basically disagree with the notion that the Hawks should have given him, the, given him the ball more. We heard that a lot, you know, early, middle, and late part of the season, even in the playoffs. We heard uh, from a lot of people that the Hawks should have, you know, sort of force, force fed Dwight in the post. I will not agree with that. I never will. Um, I do think that it, there is a rationale to giving him some early touches to keep him involved, but I don't think it should be a, a big part of the arsenal for the Hawks offensively. And uh, I do I, I do understand sort of rewarding the big man with touches and offensive involvement, but for me, he's much, much better in pick and roll. The numbers break that out yet again this year. It's just whether Dwight was willing to do that over and over again. And listen, he's he's, 30, he's, he's in his 30s now. You can't expect him to be able to just bust it all, all times because he's he's a limited athlete at this point in his career. He's had the, he's had the health, uh, health problems. He did say he was fully healthy at, at the end of the year, which, uh, you know, you can believe that if you want to. He did not look the same to me at the end of the year they did at the beginning of the year physically. Um, that's 
some of that's just you know wearing down over the course of a season. But you need Dwight to be athletic and be explosive. He's not really that by the end of the year. And I think uh, I don't think he's I don't think he's terribly willing to play pick and roll as much as he probably needs to play pick and roll. But did have a three year high in assist rate. If you want to talk about positive things offensively, and the, of course the offensive rebounding is very very nice to have. That did create some extra possessions there, and that's something that again he's very very good at. Um, you know, unfortunately that can't affect your transition defense. The Hawks were really really bad in transition defense in the playoff series, especially against the Wizards. Uh, Dwight just not able to go end to end in the way that he used to. And if he's crashing the offensive boards as hard as he does, that's that's a huge value point. But he's not he's not able to to get back into in transition defense as well as he used to be able to do, and that is a problem potentially. And that's an area where the Hawks were much much worse this season with Dwight around. Uh, defensively, um, obviously the rebounding is a huge uptick there. That's a, that's a good thing. Also, Dwight's still a very good rim protector when he's around the rim. So he's certainly not the dominant shot blocker that he used to be, but you know, I think he put, yeah, he, he posted a 3.6% block rate for the season. That's still very nice. Obviously down from like a 6% or 7% spot where he used to be as the best shot blocker in the league. He's not that anymore, but still very, very nice. Um, his lack of mobility, though, really does hurt in, at certain times and against certain lineups. We saw that in the playoffs at full blast. Uh, it seemed like he was uh, deteriorated physically, which I said before, but uh, people like Nate Duncan, uh, people that I trust, refer to him sort of as statuesque during the series. It was because, you know, I think especially of the pairing of Howard and Hardaway Jr., where Hardaway was having trouble getting over screens and Dwight, you know, it's, it's fair to point out that the game plan probably called for Dwight to be sinking back toward the rim quite a bit against the Wizards, but in the same breath, he just kind of refused to t- even take one step out and sort of the, the mid-range was wide open as a result. Uh, I don't. I, he's just not the, the physical presence that he used to be, and uh, that's worth pointing out. But, you know, again, not all of that is Dwight. A lot of that is uh, game plan related at his age. Uh, he'll be 32 in December. He came straight out of high school, of course. He's played more than 36,000 minutes across the regular season in the playoffs. So, you know, he's not your normal 31, 32-year-old here. Um, he was obviously carrying a huge workload in Orlando when he was the he was the centerpiece of a very very good basketball team. Led the team to the finals, of course. And uh, worth pointing out again here that he's had knee issues, he's had back trouble. That's, that stuff that does not fully ever go away. Although it has to be mentioned that he did say he was healthy, even though it, it seemed to me that it was pretty clear that he was limited by the end of the year. Uh, as far as the contract is concerned, we've been ending ending all these podcasts with contract talks. So we have to do that again here. Uh, Dwight has two years remaining at a total of $47.3 million. Uh, He'll be uh, owed $23.5 million next year. That's what he'll be counting against the salary cap. For a detailed breakdown of the salary cap peril the Hawks could be found in, if they were to sign Paul Millsap, I would encourage you to check out the last show that we did from Friday, uh, breaking down Millsap and his contract and all those things. There's some Dwight talk in there as well, just because of the fact that Dwight makes a lot of money and he'd be a guy that I would be trying to target to get rid of if I was going to sign Paul Millsap, and especially if I was not going to sign Paul Millsap and the Hawks try to go a little bit younger and faster. Dwight's not the best fit really in either scenario, but especially if the Hawks uh, want to change anything because they, they're just not going to have the salary cap flexibility to do much else if they were to sign Paul Millsap this summer. Um, I think I think Dwight's the obvious target for me to, to uh, shed salary if the, Haw- if the Hawks want to do that. Uh, Kent Bazemore's deal is, of course, one year longer, and uh, you know he's obviously less famous, but I would argue that he was, he's a better fit in the in the Hawks system than Dwight ever has been. Um, Dwight does make more on an annual basis, and he's also more of a uh, sort of a style of play impediment. And uh, the fact that um, you know the fact that the Hawks can they, they want to be better right away, and you know Dwight's an, he's a very useful player. I, w- I would not argue otherwise. In fact, you know early in the season there was some All Star buzz. Didn't really believe that, but still uh, he was that good early on in the year. 
We've seen also the perils of uh, his locker room presence. Uh, basically, everywhere he's ever been, uh, at least on the way out, there's been some sort of issue with the locker room or the coach or just him having an attitude issue or something like that. Um, you know, obviously, I remember this, the, the exit interview this year, but the way that he exited Orlando with the uh, Stan Van Gundy issues and the saga with uh, Stan at the press conference and sort of the way he flip-flopped on that situation. Obviously, the Lakers never went well. There was a, a thing in the news this week about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar not you know, getting along with Dwight and some personal workouts, as well as Houston when things went very very poorly last year uh, with a basically the basically the, uh, that ending up with a uh, with a with a, with a non playoff flame out even with James Harden on the roster um, et cetera et cetera so it's not all on Dwight I mean I don't want to claim to be that first hand knowledge of Dwight stuff in the locker room but uh, whenever there's that much smoke there's probably a little bit of fire I would say uh, and again I'm not going to ever be the guy that says you have to get him out of there because of personality stuff but when you combine that with the on court uh, issues and the way that your style of play just has to change with Dwight on the team I, I think he should be your number one guy if you're trying to shed some salary to sort of overhaul your roster in some way. Um, you know, obviously the Hawks want to keep Paul Millsap. At least they're trying to say that. But if they want to keep Paul, there's a way they can tweak things around uh, around that by getting rid of Dwight and potentially adding a little bit of help elsewhere. But uh, of course, that does make that does give you a, a hole at your starting center spot. Worth noting, and uh, you might not be able to get a better player, but then Dwight, but maybe a better fit would be uh, you know a better thing than uh, trying to run it back with Dwight with uh, you know very few shooting, uh, very sorry, very few shooters. And uh, some style of play concerns. Uh, can the Hawks even move Howard? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I harken back to the Kevin Ar- the Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN did a straw poll that indicated it'd be pretty tough to do. Sort of the upside of getting a second round pick for Dwight, and maybe if you're trying to shed his salary, I, I do think the the easiest way for the Hawks to get off of Dwight's salary would be to take um, comparable numbers back, potentially just on expiring deals. Um, and even then, um, not the best. It doesn't necessarily make you better next year. It's just uh, you get off of uh, the, the final year of Dwight's contract when he'll be 33 years old and probably, you know, in the full decline. He's obviously in the decline now, but, uh, you know, to this point, sort of a gentle one. We'll see if that continues moving forward, but by the end of the by the end of the deal, he could be uh, not even a starting caliber player. That's at least worth um, noting as a possibility. Even if Paul stays, I think there's uh, not really a way to improve the roster with Dwight on it, to be honest with you, because of the fact that, I know I would encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast, but you're kind of capped out almost to the point of luxury tax, and you do add a first-round pick this year, and hope and hopefully you guys like Prince and Bembry and Schroeder will improve, but if you just run the band back, I just can't see a scenario where that team wins more than 45 games, and that's if everybody sort of keeps a uh, lid on things in the way that, you know, that's if Dwight sort of buys in again, like, like, he, did, like he did early in the season, and you sort of bank some victories that way. I just don't see much upside in that in that uh, creation, even if it not, even if you, you would not be getting a chasm of cap space, because it is worth noting again that you know simply giving Dwight away would not would not create this huge uh, cap windfall because of the fact that you have cap holds for guys like Millsap and Hardaway Jr. and even Muscala, who I think you would definitely want to keep if you were to lose Howard. Uh, in the end, I think I would say that Dwight was pretty good earlier in the year, deteriorated a little bit late in the year, and was buried on the bench, of course, uh, rightly down, uh, rightly in my mind, on the stretch of some important games. The past of the past, the contract, the contract is definitely signed. I mean, it happened. Um, the team got better at rebounding. There was no there's no way around that. There were some things that Dwight did well, things that Dwight did poorly. I did not love the move. I still don't love the move, and it's going to look worse and worse because of the fact that he's aging, uh, just because that's kind of how this all works. I'll say the same thing about Paul Millsap, who's a guy that I like a whole lot, by, but by the, you know, if he signs that monster deal by year two or three of that deal, it's going to look bad, and uh, Dwight may not have um, sort of fallen off the cliff in that way yet, but um, paying him $47 million over the next two years is not the greatest investment in the world in a league where, uh, you know, finding quality centers isn't isn't honestly very difficult right now. If you go ahead and go around a league and sort of listen to some podcasts, read some things, 
there is a lot of supply in terms of quality centers and not a, not a ton of demand. And I think at this point in Dwight's career, he's overpaid. It's it, not not prohibitively overpaid, but still overpaid. And the fact that uh, his off-court stuff exists it makes him even less tradable than he probably would be under normal circumstances. So I'd be trying to pivot away from that because, if, quite frankly, in my opinion, it did not work, quote-unquote, um, to have Dwight around. But uh, it wasn't a full-blown disaster. That uh, It was not the full downside that I thought could happen. It was, there was no blow-ups publicly that we saw between D- Dwight and Bud or Dwight and Dennis. There was a little bit of that chatter midseason. But in the end, I would give it probably like a D plus, C minus, something like that for that move. It wasn't an F. Um, you know, I didn't, I'll never understand what they were trying to do with that move, frankly, especially when you're talking about culture and the way that uh, Bud and Wes and the ownership have preached that so far. I'm not really sure why you integrate Dwight in that way, uh, knowing his past. But uh, listen, it did not go terribly, even if the, the end was not fantastic with the way that things ended in the, Wiz- with the, Wiz- uh, in the Wizards series and, of course, his exit interview. So uh, very, very interesting offseason to come. I- I'm not expecting Dwight to get moved necessarily. I think the Hawks, uh, you know, whether publicly or not, will at least explore it. And a lot of that will probably depend on who's making that ultimate call. Because if you have a GM with a mandate, you know, for instance, if they're if the hiring of a GM uh, basically mandates that it's going to be, hey, we want you to sign Paul Millsap. Um, there is an argument, not one that I would subscribe to, but an argument to say, listen, it'd probably be a, li- a little bit less uh, costly long-term if you were to keep power at least for one year, see if, see if it can work in a different way. Um, I would argue against that, but uh, you know, people are going to think that I'm crazy on that as well. So Dwight still has fans. I understand that in a big way. And uh, But in the end, he's sort of an average center at this point in time, which is fine. There's value in that. There's no question about it. He has uh, things that he's very, very good at. I mentioned rebounding. It's worth saying one more time uh, just how good he is at that. And uh, defensively, um, in, in a vacuum, I think he's still probably a positive player. They're just certain matchups. And I think in the playoffs, especially the league is going smaller. That's not a Dwight issue. That's a, uh, that's a center issue in general. Most of these teams, if you're watching the late, late, late times in the playoffs, there are very few centers that can really be out there full time as full time starting, starting quality in terms of uh, minutes guys in a uh, high impact player situation. Because I mean, you know, Tristan Thompson's sort of a, uh, a hybrid and then he's a small, a little bit quicker, but uh, we even saw Gore Tot, who I would argue is better than Howard um, at this point in his career, get sort of more marginalized at times in that Boston Celtics series. And uh, obviously the Warriors are playing their center's spot duty, et cetera, et cetera. So not a Dwight issue necessarily, but the league is getting smaller and Dwight's going to get slower and more plotting as he gets older. And uh, there it is. So thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. I promise I will get to Mike Muscala at some point in the near future. Uh, I do have a couple of guests on later this week, which should be interesting. i talk about some draft stuff, especially start digging into that, which would be a lot of fun, as well as sort of a... Um, a recap of the season with a, a trusted source that I have on the on the docket, so that'll be a lot of fun in terms of just getting the big picture approach to what's happened in the past and what the plan should be moving forward. So, with all that all that to say, thanks again to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast, check out SeatGeek, do all those fun things, enjoy the rest of your Sunday as you listen to this, and we'll see you later on in the week. Napa know how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17